0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson, as always. I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday evening edition of the yard. I'm a little bit later than normal, which I guess I've been a little bit late here in the summer. Kind of trying to enjoy the last little bit of summer. Had a big uh, rock and roll adventure over the weekend. It was, uh, let me recap the weekend. I told you guys on Saturday, you know, we recorded the Friday show Saturday. I wanted to wait and talk about commitments and uh, worked up the show on about four hours sleep. Very, very busy weekend. Got done with all the big camp, big dog camp stuff. I guess technically it's top dog camp, but it's big dog camp to me because I'm, I'm an old schooler. Got done uh, with that about eight o'clock and then hit the road to Rogers, Arkansas. Got there about 4 a.m., got about four hours sleep, got up, recorded the show, celebrated my granddaughter's birthday. Really glad to be there. It's like everybody's like, man, Steve, you're gonna be so late getting there. Yeah, but at least I'm there, right? Gave me a full day with some family, loved it. Uh, We got her a guitar for a present. And I believe that was her favorite present. I think she's a natural. She grabbed it, corded it up, started strumming, It made some racket. She was very in, intrigued by the noise, as I am I, right, even all these years later. Uh, and then I uh, went to bed, got up about seven, hightailed it to Memphis, dropped off the youngest kid at his car there at South Haven, thanks to Roy, my buddy Roy. You know, met up with uh, the homie Sam Denton there in Memphis at the lafayette music room i'd never been there before in midtown memphis what a great area met a lot of cool people hung out with our friends and faster pussycat uh chad and those guys just continue to play at a high level and uh you know sam and i we got out and go see them whenever we can you know we've kind of gotten to know those guys a little bit and uh you know it's almost like kind of hanging out with some friends you know it's like you, thankfully we get to go to set list uh, soundcheck early and things like that and uh Kind of get to hang late, so I was up late. Got back into bed wee hours of the morning and then uh, took Roy to lunch. Met Roy at a uh, local pizza place there in South Haven. There, there were a couple places we went that were closed today. I, what, what is that about? I, I, don't, I don't get it. I understand there's a uh, staffing issue at a lot of places, but uh, we got to get that figured out. But I uh, had a great lunch with Roy. And I uh, came back and I uh, got settled, you know, had to get up and, you know, you know there's the, the, the life business you got to take care of. And so we got, uh, got the emails returned and checked it on the message board and and now I'm here with you. And uh, I, I will make my pitch again about this. And I know maybe sometimes you get tired of it. And You say, but Steve, I don't, I don't like 80s metal. That, that's okay. You love something, right? It may be country music. It may be rap music. It may be bluegrass. It may be classical music it may be whatever. Go support your favorite artist. It's it's like, it, it's like so crazy now to see what's happened in the music industry. And we're responsible for a lot of that. And what I mean by that is, you used to, you hey, you're like, hey, go to, go to Walmart. Hey, I'm going to pick up my CD of my favorite artist. Well, now we don't do that. And I submit to you that the Depth of musical knowledge of this generation is the most shallow it has ever been in the history of music. When you go back to maybe the beginning of commercial music, when everybody just kind of sat by a fire or whatever and played the guitar, maybe you didn't know many songs. That's kind of how it is now. You would say, well, Steve, there's information overload. I mean, I can download my favorite songs. That's true. But we have transitioned to a generation where we're more concerned with songs than we are artists. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, this is my favorite song. Well, this is my favorite band. All right, these are my favorite bands, and I want them to continue touring. I want them to continue making this great music. And so I'm going to show up at the venue. I'm going to buy some merch. You know, l- last night, uh, Ace Van Johnson, that plays rhythm guitar player for LA Guns, you know, he has this Patreon thing that he does, and it's, uh, it's pit bull animal rescue stuff, and he uses his platform for positivity. So I made a donation. You know, because, number one, this is, this is a great guy, a tremendous guy. Everybody will tell you he's the nicest guy in rock and roll. Maybe he is. But here he is using his platform to try to help other people. And um, so I want to support that. I want to support good people when they're doing good things. And so I just suggest to you, again, it doesn't matter. You don't have to like Faster or Pussycat. It would be cooler if you did because you'd come hang with us. But even if you don't, get out and go support your bands. And that's that's the thing, too. We spend so much money on stuff, it doesn't matter, right? If, if you're going to do that, maybe maybe throw some bones into the direction of your favorite musical act. You say, you know, Steve, I'm too old to go to concerts. I don't agree with that. But maybe you've already subscribed to that theory. You know what? Buy some merch. You can go to their official website and you say, well, Steve, it's a few dollars more. I can get some you know knockoff T-shirt on eBay for 20 bucks, And you know what? i'm sure they appreciate the marketing but they don't profit from that they don't benefit from that purchase and so buy official issue merchandise not even though it's a little more expensive it's going to be nicer it's going to be higher quality but also too you're supporting the band you're supporting your artists i don't care if it's leanne rhymes i I don't care if it's the london choir boys i don't care if it's willie nelson you know i i believe that we're, we're part of a a sacred tribe in many respects and like when i go to shows and maybe I'm weird, and I'm okay with being weird because I love being me. I feel like it's where I lose myself and I find myself at the same time. It is such a recharge to the batteries to be able to go, get away from the computer for a little while, kind of get away from all this. And you know, We stayed last night. I didn't have anywhere to be today. The only thing on my agenda today was getting home and recording the show And sometimes I get so caught up in everything else, you know, it's like an impossible schedule sometimes, but uh, sometimes you gotta take yourself uh, on a little bit of a trip, on an adventure. So one of the cool things too, uh, is you begin to make friends, right? Sam and I have a lot of show friends, like people that we meet at shows that kind of share the same interests as us. Cause like most of the people in my family don't want to go to an 80s rock show with me. And that's cool. I don't like going by myself. So Sam Denton and I kind of go together. Because he's got a lot of his friends too that don't really want to go see, you know, LA Guns or whoever. You know, he loves them. I love them, and so you know, we're great friends. We get a chance to go do that. But um, there are a lot of people that we meet at shows, and you know, we, we become friends on Facebook or Instagram, or whatever. And then it's like, hey, I'm we're going to this show, so everybody links up again. It's kind of like a traveling circus. You know, we go down there, and we have a good time, and it's nice to have people around that kind of share your interest. That they, and maybe that's as far as it goes, right? We're just friends that meet at shows. And then the next time we talk, is it a show? I mean, that's kind of what used to be the Jackson metal scene. Is like you would see the same people. And sometimes you did not even remember their names. It's like, hey, dude, what's up? You know, and that's how it was. And you'd hang out for a couple hours. You'd enjoy a show. You'd high five and say, hey, man, see you at the next one. That was it. And so it's a cool thing to go. And there are a lot of people that every time, Sam and I laugh about this, all these people are like, oh, man, I wish I'd known you guys were going. I would have gone too. I didn't know that us going to a show was a prerequisite for you getting out supporting live music. So let me go ahead and give you this formal announcement right now. I shared this on Facebook. I'm going to talk about it again as we get a little closer. Many of you metalheads like me that grew up in the, uh, in the 80s. You were teenagers of the 80s. You guys know what a big deal Lillian Axe was. Lillian Axe still playing. Stevie Blaze still going strong. Phenomenal. New album coming out. We're going to go to the opening show of the new tour in two weeks. August the 13th, 12 days from now. It's a Saturday. It's at the Hideaway in Mandeville, Louisiana. So we're going to go hang out with our friends in Lillian Axe. They they ate with us last night and we know those guys. They're great. Uh, Brent Graham, the singer, and his wife Jan, just great people. Some of the road crew hung out with us and so um, our friend Brian Jones came and so it's like we're going to go down and we're going to celebrate Lillian Axe. And we're gonna have a great time i'm going to put on my poetic justice shirt i'm going to be down front me and my hat throwing my dreads around living life like a kid for a little while i'm not going to take myself too seriously i'm going to walk around i'm going to high five people make sure everybody's got a good time and then when the show's over with i'm gonna make sure everybody gets in an uber and gets home safe i'm not going to leave anybody on the sidewalk it's been a little bit inebriated not going to do it i'm gonna sit out there last night we sat out there last night so some people we met, waited till they got into their Ubers, and once everybody was delivered, we went to bed. It's family. So I encourage you, again, you don't have to be a rocker like me. it be cooler if you did. But if you're not, <clears throat> support your favorite musical artist, period. Support them. Buy music, download it legally, buy merch, go to shows. we got a, great, a lot of great venues here in Mississippi. So when you get a chance to go, get out and go. And if, if you're like me you're my age you know your kids are kind of aging out right you know so you don't have as many you got out of the habit of doing cool stuff for yourself it's like oh you know I remember when I was a kid I used to love to go watch Motley Crue play in Biloxi and Jackson well now we you know now we don't do it He said, but Steve ticket prices are so expensive Lillian acts 20 bucks 20 bucks and there are a lot of great venues in Mississippi it's 10 bucks a show get out and come reconnect with the tribe you'll be glad you did you're not too old you're not too lame doesn't matter how much weight you put on, how much hair you've lost, doesn't matter how much makeup you have to pile on, you come out there and you come party with us. Have a good time. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. It's always a party there. I love Bulldog Burger Company because, number one, I know what I'm going to get there. And it doesn't mean necessarily that I eat the same thing on the menu. I just know the quality of the experience. I'm going to get great food at a great price at a great service and a great atmosphere, and I'm going to walk out there feeling great it'll turn your day around i mean that's that's one of the best things about places like that is like you know what today may have been rough i can turn the whole day around with a quality meal and go have a good lunch have a good dinner bulldog burger company provides both three great locations to serve you university drive here in star vegas gloucester street there in tupelo and the newest one lake harper drive there in the ridgewood area. you'll you'll be glad you go by there have the spring rolls as your appetizer that will make you better looking uh, I love the restaurant-quality hamburgers that are available there at Bulldog Burger Company. I'm very partial to the pimentology ad bacon, though I have had them all. Maybe you feel differently. Maybe you're like, hey, Steve, I want a burger. Get the BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. Either way, it's delicious. Sloppy Joe slider is a great portion, too. Maybe you don't feel like eating heavy. It's a very filling meal that maybe is a little easier to, uh, you know, Maybe kind of reconcile, right? You think, like, oh, you know, I don't want to eat too big, but I want to eat something great, filling. The Sloppy Joe Sliders are the way to go. Get that chocolate shake to go, too. That's a cool thing, too, being able to get your dessert to go. Bulldog Burger Company, a fantastic place to eat, a fantastic place to take the family or a night out with friends. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M E A T. All right, our top story involves Mississippi State pitcher Casey Hunt. As of the deadline today, which was 4 p.m. Central, Casey Hunt had not signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And according to media reports out of Pittsburgh on the Pirates beat, he was listed as a non-signer. It appears that the Pittsburgh Pirates did not sign two picks, their 12th round selection, Casey Hunt, and then Yul Tejada, a 19th round selection from North Broward Prep. And so uh, that's Rob Bertempifil. And Rob, I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. Rob Bertemphil. That's a tough name right there. I mean, that's not only a tough thing to say, it's a tough way to go through life. But uh, as of an hour ago, which would have been the deadline, he uh, was listed as a non-signer. So unless there was a last-minute signing, it appears that Casey Hunt headed back to Mississippi State. Now, I don't want to sit here and beat myself on the chest here, but uh, from the very beginning, from the day that he was drafted, the talk that I would have heard is that um, he was going to want close to three times slot value to sign an MLB contract. And so we have been expecting him to come back. And, of course, again, that, that day we're thinking, well, maybe this is where negotiations begin. You know, maybe, maybe he's willing to take maybe twice slot value. But uh, it does appear Casey Hunt now back from Mississippi State. It's almost like going out and getting a guy at the portal, right, except this guy knows your program, your staff knows him, your players know him, and now he's healthy again. And so, and that's the thing too. KC was our best pitcher in the fall last year, not named Landon Sims. You yeah, know, Landon was really, really careful with Landon last year in the fall. KC was dominant. And what does he do? He gets hurt his very first start of the year, you know, against Long Beach State. It took him a while to kind of get going again. And uh, listen, we had some, I and mean, listen, it wasn't a great year for KC, but KC wasn't healthy. And I think it kind of helps too, the fact that, uh, you know, he's had a brother go through this process. You know, so it's not like he just is kind of, you know, unaware of how it all works but Casey's the guy that you know still has two years to work with you know his first year was 2020 that's a COVID year so he still has that year to work with and also he's just 21 so it's not like he's an older three-year player so next year he'll be 22 so we we fully expect him to go next year but because of his age and you say with Steve you know other guys were 22. It's a little different when you're pitchers, but he still has that year to work with. But, uh, again, 2020, pitched a little bit that year, had the one start, went one two, went one two-thirds of an inning. Wasn't a great start. He didn't pitch anymore that year. Comes back in 2021, uh, kind of a, you know, specialty reliever, I guess, middle reliever times, 14 games, 14 appearances, 4.80 ERA just 15 innings pitched, and then 15 hits. So it's a hit per inning with him. That's one thing Casey's got to do a better job of is we got to start missing some bats. Allowed just a one home run uh, on the year, 14 strikeouts, eight walks. And uh, last year, you know, again, had some moments, but had some other opportunities too when things didn't go quite as as we had hoped, but uh, a 7.46 ERA. And again, I attribute a lot of that to the fact that he just was never really healthy down the stretch. You know, he missed some time. People forget that. I mean, he was an opening weekend starter for us, and then basically missed a month. The only game he started last year was the the Long Beach State game. By the time he came back, we needed bullpen help, so we put him out there. And uh, you know, people forget he pitched really well at times. Other times he didn't. Uh, collected a save, still giving up about a hit per inning though. it's you know we got to get more of that. And, uh, you know, 13 walks against 32 K, so the strikeout-to-walk ratio is, uh, you know, 3-to-1 there. But, um, you know, it's good to have him back. You know, that's the thing you look at, and you begin to think, okay, this is an experienced guy. We know that uh, he has shown some real flashes. But he's also a guy, too, that I think his best baseball is ahead of him. He's having a good summer. You know, again, he's finally healthy. Let's take a quick look through kind of looking at his numbers last last year, kind of. When things went well and when they didn't go well, uh, but KC, of course, uh, three is three innings pitch against Long Beach State, six hits, five runs. So right out of the gate, our ERA is 15. He didn't pitch again until March 29th. So basically six weeks. He comes back, goes an inning against Memphis, gives up a couple hits, a couple runs, that ERA balloons up to 15.75. So like the, the we're chasing a better ERA from the very beginning of the season. All right, we go to Arkansas. His best outing early on, goes one and two thirds of an inning, gets up a hit and a run. Uh, two Ks, no walks. ERA comes down 12.71. We have a hitless inning against UT Martin as we're trying to bring him back. We bring him back against LSU. Uh, two innings pitch, allows one hit, two Ks, one walk, no runs. Now that all of a sudden that ERA is down to 675, and that's a far cry from where it was a few appearances before, he has a two-hit shutout appearance against Auburn and gets three punches in there too. Uh, Ole Miss in game, I guess that's the second game. Yeah, second game he goes, we win this game too. Two innings pitch, four hits, three runs, two Ks and a walk, and then he comes back the next day and gives you two and two-thirds of an inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, two Ks. Now, all of a sudden, that ERA is uh, down to 5.71. He also gets the win on the season. We go to Missouri, and uh, kind of an unfortunate situation. Casey pitches really well. Go two and a-thirds of an inning, give up one hit, one run, and you know what that was? That was the Josh Day walk-off. To win the series from Missouri. Three Ks and a walk. Guy pitches well. Offensively, we just didn't do enough to help him. And even in the loss, the ERA goes down to 5.49. Then you have the big, the rough outing against Florida, one or two-thirds of an inning, five hits, six runs, four walks, a couple K's. You're gonna have days like that. We bring him back against AM, two-thirds of an inning to hit, two runs, a w- couple walks. And that's kind of what happened in that ball game. It's like all of a sudden, that's the game, if you remember, that everybody was complaining that he was getting squeezed a little bit. And I think he was, you know. But the reality of it got to be able to adjust. Now, all of a sudden, the ERA creeps up again. A&M come back again two days later, going inning pitched. Two hits, one run. Uh, we get beat in that ball game, 8-2. to two. Then he played uh, – has Tennessee on back-to-back days. And, of course, this is uh, – you know, Tennessee team, the most prolific offense in the country. He goes one inning in the third inning, gives up a hit, a walk, two strikeouts, no runs. The next day, a full inning pitch, no hits, no runs, no walks. So he faces the most prolific offense in the country and goes, uh, you know, two and a third innings. And so when I look at this, it's like, again, a lot of people flash directly to the ERA and say, you know, Steve, 7.46. Yeah, and then it's true. The numbers are the numbers. But if you go back and look at this, you had that terrible outing against Florida and, the, and then the, end, the game that he got hurt against Long Beach State. Okay, he gives up 21 earned runs on the year. 11 of them are in those two games. This happened to be shorter outing, just didn't have it that day. You know, you start doing the math here. You know, he had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Ten appearances. Where he allowed a runner less? And so, again, statistics are, are what they are. I mean, the math is the math, right? But when you dig a little deeper here, I think you realize that, um, you know, he gave us some quality outings more times than not. And so getting him back, again, I think it's big for Mississippi State. Can he be what we thought he would be last year, heading into the spring? Maybe. But you know what, even if he's not a starter, even if he's a guy that just kind of comes in and can be a quality-long reliever for us, because Casey clearly has the competitive gene. It's a guy that will get out there and really compete. So what can he do when he's completely healthy? And, uh, you know, again, it's a bit of a question mark, but, again, it's big to get him back because this is a known situation. This is a known player. And so I'm a Casey fan, and, and again, I know that he he really wasn't right – all year last year you know so my hope is let's get him straight let's get him healthy maybe we take it easy with him in the fall this year maybe we kind of protect him a little bit you know and then see what he can do next year uh, when he's completely healthy so again a good situation there for state to get casey back and so we'll celebrate that and kind of move forward since we were part two mississippi state Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to the NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. It picks up another commitment in the uh, in the transfer portal. Uh, this came kind of late at night, and uh, I commend Robbie Fogg for getting that story up because I was absolutely exhausted. Didn't, didn't think I was going to be able to jump right on that. But uh, Connor Husek from uh, VCU, a shortstop, uh, native of uh, Goffstown, New Hampshire. His dad actually was a kicker at Iowa. Pretty athletic family there. Son of uh, Jim and Karen. But this is a guy that has done some big things. 2021, he was on the A-10 All-Rookie Team. That's a team that came to Mississippi State and played in the regional. Um, 48 starts as a true freshman. Hit just two thirty nine, but also at three triples. And uh, it was a guy that was consistently an RBI guy, even for a newcomer. He also uh, had a pretty good regional. Hit a big home run against Campbell last year part of a conference championship team uh, made the all-regional team at chapel hill tied for seventh in vcu history with single season home runs with 12. so it's a double-digit home run guy and this is a right-handed bat we talked about we needed a right-handed bat with a little pop we've got it where does he play defensively that's that's kind of the question right now he's an athletic guy does he does he become a left fielder Do do we try him in left you know, does he provide competition at short? You know, I don't know. This, this is a guy that can, that can run the bases. He has some speed. Let's look at his numbers from last year. If I can, if I can find these. Sometimes these websites are difficult to navigate. I don't, sometimes I don't know what we're doing. Sometimes they, don't, they don't make it easy on you. So last year he gets 289. So it's a 50-point jump year over year in his batting average. You know, wouldn't it be nice to get him like 300 or so here at Mississippi State? That would be huge. Uh, so, 61 starts last year, uh, had about 80 more at-bats year over year, scored 39 runs, had 73 hits, and that's up 31 from the year before. 20 doubles, two triples, and a dozen home runs. So, you can start doing the math on that. That's 34 extra base hits. How many times last year did we have trouble getting the extra base hit? How many times did we have trouble getting the big base hit when there runners on? His RBIs were up 20 year over year, 55 to 35. 25 walks last year, also hit by a pitch five times, struck out 51 times. We're talking 2-1 to one there. Um, yeah, it's it's respectable. I mean, I haven't done the math on this, but when you start doing the math on this, uh, and maybe we should, you know, but, um, you know, I guess he's around around 20% strikeout ratio. I'd like that to be a little bit better, and maybe Goat can get that figured out for him. Uh, 17 stolen bases. That's one thing that jumps out to me. This guy's clearly athletic. And again, do we make him a left fielder? Does he work in it short, third? Does he become Tanner Leggett, right? I don't know. But it's an interesting piece. I think when you begin to look at this, you begin to think, okay, a guy like this is still around there. He's also played at Mississippi State, been a part of the, you know, a big part of the regional team that came here. You remember they had that big winning streak, too, and that, that was a confident team. And so, you know, he knows what we do, right? I mean, he understands, you know, what Mississippi State baseball is about. And I think that's a big part of things, too. When guys come here and play here and all of a sudden they become, you know, a, uh, a potential candidate for the portal, guys that have been here and taken the behind-the-scenes trip, those are guys that kind of understand, you know, what's happening. They understand what Mississippi State baseball is about. They understand what you guys are going to do. I mean, they, they show up and all of a sudden there's 15,000 people out there, you know, cheering against them and then feeding them barbecue when it's over. Right? I mean, it's just – it's phenomenal. But looking at his regional numbers when he came here, he goes two for five in the first game against Campbell, and then one for four against us, and then one for four with that three-run bomb uh, against Campbell. So, you know, four hits in a regional. In three games. I mean, so you know he's what, uh, four for 13 in postseason play. So, uh, and that's again as a freshman. So I, I like the get. I think it is very intriguing. You know, is he a difference maker? I don't know if I would say that, but are we adding to the top of what we do well? I think, yes, we are. I think this is a guy that is a very interesting piece for Mississippi State. Uh, you'll take a quick look, too, is his postseason numbers this year. You know, while, while we're here together, let's take a look here. Individual game-by-game game numbers for 2022 uh, for Connor. So, so let's see here. So, they play North Carolina. That was in the Super. So, they win the – let me think here. So, they win the regional against uh, That's – where is that game? That was at Georgia? Let me double-check that. Yeah, so it's the Chapel Hill Regional and they faced Georgia in the first game. They win that 8-1, and then they take down 10-seed North Carolina to take the winner's bracket game, right? So they're up 2-0 and then lose the next two to North Carolina, 19-8 and 7-3. I guess they kind of ran out of, po- out of, out of juice there. But, uh, you know, yeah, so VCU back-to-back regional years and, uh, and actually played pretty well there. But, uh, you know, looking at his numbers, you know, against uh, that regional field, I think it's one of those things you can kind of start thinking, okay, well, maybe this kid has some value to us. But, um, you know, he has a really big game against Georgia. Goes three for five in that opening game with uh, four ribbies. And then in, in the, the win against North Carolina, two for four with a couple more ribbies too. And then the last two games they lose, he goes over in both of those games. And so, again, you look at this, I think you can begin to realize that, um, again, an interesting piece. And I think when, when you look over the course of the season too, is his batting average – Kind of hovered around 240 or so for a while, but late in the year he picked it up and even pushed it over 300 uh, in the middle of May. And so he got better as the year went along. And you would think, okay, well, you know, the, the level of competition should be increasing, as it should, and the, and the intensity of the baseball games late in the year, uh, you're going to see better pitching more times than not. But the reality of it is, is he got better as the season went along. And again, ended the year with 289 batting average and. And that last weekend kind of hurt him a little bit. He was flirting with 300 again after that win against North Carolina. He's hitting 298. So you know, you get one more hit down the stretch, you're hitting 300 for the year. And that's the thing too. There's so many people too, like they see these number. Well, you know, I don't know. The reality of it is, you know how difficult it is to hit 300 in college baseball. It's it's tough to hit 300. It's not high school, right? And so this is a good get for us. I think it's rather interesting. I really do. I think, I think it's a very intriguing piece for us. I'm curious to see what uh, Chris Simonis does with him. I think it's an important part of things. But, uh, you know, of course, a lot of people are still kind of lamenting the loss of Paul Skeens. I suggest that we get over that. Um, I think that's a, you know, we can't change it. I, I support our staff. Our staff recruited him exceptionally hard. He decides to go to LSU, and immediately people say, Oh, well, it's about the NIL. I don't know why I picked him, I haven't talked to him. But I know this. I know that LSU is a national brand. LSU is a team that people are probably going to be picking to go to Omaha next year. And as I mentioned on the show last week, one of the things that we're going to have to overcome is that we finished dead last in the SEC West last year, missed Hoover. LSU makes it to a super regional, should have made it to Omaha. Didn't, which, again, considering what all they did last year, all these transfers and everything else, they never really matched i don't think at any point last year did you ever look at lsu and said you know what hey this team this team's outstanding they got a great draw they got an amazing draw in the regional at lsu against southern miss excuse me and then couldn't finish the deal couldn't even get out of the regional had quote unquote the best transfer class in the country last year and couldn't get out of the regional and so then some people suggested hey you know we'll um this is the best portal class, and I think when you look at it kind of in hindsight, Tommy Tanks and Skeens, those are huge additions. And anybody that tries to suggest otherwise is just being disingenuous. And the bad thing about it is, is now we got to deal with them. You know, Skeens is at Air Force and Tanks is at NC State. You now we got to deal with them. They're in our league. We got to go get these guys out. Got to find a way to beat them. But it's interesting too when I look at this. Uh, you know, there were so many people that were said, ah, baseball, baseball class, this, and you know. Um, here's the deal about all that carter young signs today too and uh his agent does a great job getting that guy a ton of money over million a million dollars for guy drafted the 17th round you know by uh, a team that's got money to spend but uh he's gonna go pro 1.33 signing bonus 1.33 million dollar signing bonus and he went down to the final day and you go back and you begin to think about all this too. It's like, okay, are they going to get Christian Little from Vanderbilt? I think you know my thoughts about that. I, I think in many respects, that's probably a win for us. You know, it's like, hey, well, we got to go deal with Paul Skeens, but we also get to face Christian Little again too, and we've had some success against him. Um, so I, again, I, I, you know, maybe maybe West can turn him around down there. I just don't see it. And you know, Tommy White, of course, you, you know what you know what they don't call him Tommy Tanks for for nothing. UCLA gets pitcher Thatcher – they get UCLA's pitcher Thatcher Hurd, who has had some back injuries. If he is healthy, he's a problem. The thing that I've learned, though, about those long, tall pitchers, man, it's like when you start having chronic back issues, it's difficult to get that behind you. And then, of course, Tommy Tanks. And then um, – see so you run it down. You know, that's the thing. when You begin to think about, well, they had Jack Pineda. And if you listen to this show and you were a subscriber to Gene's page – we talked about, probably going to go pro. Now, that was apparently lost on some of the LSU media. And then there was Craig and pitcher Dylan T-break. And everybody who knows anybody involved with college baseball and knows anything to do with the draft, knew this kid was going to go and going to sign. Everybody's like, well, you know, he'll go to LSU. No, 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 that's not how it works. You know, and that's another thing, too, when, you, when you're when you a transfer guy, too, and you commit to an LSU or Mississippi State, you're thinking, okay, this is a pretty good plan B. If I don't get what I want in the draft, I, I've got a great place to go play and compete for a championship and possibly go to Omaha. But sometimes you commit to those blue blood programs to give you better leverage. And like if – let's say if Jack Pineda had committed – to, I don't, I don't know, let's say he left Baylor. Let, you know, let's say you know, he went to UAB. Do you think that there is a team out there that's worried about getting him to pass on a UAB? And all due respect to UAB, the brand of baseball at UAB does not compare to Mississippi State or LSU. And so you commit to a blue blood program because all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, you guys are gonna have to pay me a lot of money to get me to bypass on the opportunity to play at Alex Box Stadium, to play at Duty Noble Field, to play at Bomb Walker, right? I mean, you know, hey, I'm happy doing this. And so as a result, the agents and the advisors are kind of howling all this stuff. And I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate that. And I suspect, again, this is maybe called a somewhat educated opinion. I suspect the people close to Paul Skeens probably said, hey, you got one year to kind of show them what you can do. Mississippi State's in rebuild mode, which is true. We're all a little more optimistic today than we were. But the reality of it is, we finished dead last in the West. And LSU feels like, hey, you know, if we'd had Paul Skeens, we'd have won the regional, and we'd have, we'd have shelled Ole Miss at our place, and we'd have gone to Omaha, right? That's, I'm sure that's what they tell themselves, true or untrue, even though you know, Ole Miss stormed into Baton Rouge and took two from them. But I'm sure that's what his folks have advised him, is like, you know what? You want to get chance to play in Omaha. You want to get chance to pitch in the postseason. The better chances to go to LSU, and that, there's not a lot Chris Monas and those guys can do to overcome that. It's just not. I'm not making excuses for anybody. That's just the reality of life. And then I love people say, "Well, why didn't we offer a bigger NIL deal?" Well, you know, number one, I don't know if we did. They're like, well, the LSU did. You don't know that either. But I would ask you, how much did you contribute to that? Did you, did you reach out to Charlie Winfield at Bulldog Initiative and say, hey, Charlie, listen, I know that the, the NIL landscape is changing. I want to make sure that you've got enough resources to work with. So if you gave to the collective, gripe all you want. If you didn't, if you didn't gripe, then don't don't come to me with this NIL talk. Fair enough? All right, time for today's top 10 list. And no, it's not Faster Pussycat, even though I would love to do another one of those. We've done that. So... Uh, let's remind you too. The top ten list always brought to you by Blair Chandler. At CloseWithBlair.com. That's C L O S E with Blair.com. B L A I R. Blair is a friend in the business. That's the mortgage industry, right? It's a complicated undertaking getting a mortgage and getting to the closing table. Deal with a guy that's got 21 years' experience. A guy that understands what it takes to get you closed. Top 1% close ratio in the country. And he's a Bulldog. I love to do business with Bulldogs whenever I can. I like to keep the money in the family. Because Blair's a guy too who's can support your athletic program. Season ticket holder in multiple sports, has a place here in Starkville. He's up here regularly. Great guy. <laughs> Works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to uh, mortgage origination. Let me give you Blair's personal cell number. It's 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. That's closed with Blair.com. And be sure to mention to him, you heard about him on the yard, He'll pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. All right, we haven't done an album list in a while, so we're going to do an album list today. It's been a while. Uh, I teased this a little bit on Twitter with a, with a GIF. I know for a while we couldn't decide if it was GIF or GIF. Uh I call it a GIF. I think it just sounds better. I, I think I'm right. Either way, that's what I'm going to call it. So we're going to go with Queen today. Everybody knows Queen. Everybody loves Queen. Fifteen studio albums. So we had five albums not make our list. That doesn't mean they're bad albums. They're just not as good as the ones that I've listed. Now your opinion may vary. And that's okay. You can start your own podcast, have your own top 10 list. That's completely up to you. These are mine. Number 10 on our list is we're going with the album Hot Space. Now, this is a little bit deeper in the catalog. A little bit later, you know, and maybe you're not quite as familiar with this album. This is released in 1982. It was a gold album for these guys. And it's kind of like when they were beginning to crest a little bit, as music began to change, and and plus they were, they were experimenting some, but they they had the one gem that I think a lot of people look at today is uh, one of the great songs, not just because of the fact that Vanilla Ice uh, sampled it, it's with David Bowie, it's "Under Pressure," that's your number ten song, "Under Pressure." Uh, also, some you know, "Body Language" is a great tune too. That's a Freddie Mercury track. "Calling All Girls" is a song written by Roger Taylor, also really good. Uh, but Under Pressure, that's our song today from the great Hot Space album. Now, number nine on the list, we're going back to the beginning, the infancy of the recording career. It's the self-titled debut album from 1973. It also went gold. It is the album Queen, very simply titled Queen, recorded in, uh, in London, as one would expect, a lot of people are really high on The Seven Seas of Rye, which um, was kind of interesting. You know, they, they used it some kind of as an intro, and, and this is the complete version. That's not our song, though. We're going to go with Keep Yourself Alive. If you've seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, a, it's prominently mentioned uh, throughout the movie. But again, Keep Yourself Alive, really kind of the first big hit. Uh, for these guys, and uh, Brian May, uh, the writer and the, the genius behind this one. Number eight is an album that a lot of people like, and it, and it did go platinum here in the States. It's an album called A Day at the Races, uh, debuted and released in 1976. A great album, uh, and again, one of these that really kind of pushed them to a uh, another level. You know, this was to follow up to Night at the Opera, and they had become like a major headliner. And so this is a great album to kind of follow up with. And again, this is kind of when they were at their peak. "Tiger Mother Down is a great, great track, but we're gonna go with Somebody To Love. Somebody To Love is your number eight track on our top 10 list today. One of my favorite tracks, Somebody To Love. And, and I love what uh, George Michael did with it too, when they had him sing it um, several years later. I believe that was at Live 8, maybe I'm wrong about that, but anyway, he sang Somebody Love and did a phenomenal job against it. Number 7 is the second album, ironically, Queen 2. Queen 2, a lot of cool tracks on this one, it's like they began to kind of find their sound a little bit. Now we're going to go with a deeper track though, on this album, and uh, this is a song that was seldom played live and never played on the radio. And it's the track, The March of the Black Queen. In many respects, it is the precursor to Bohemian Rhapsody. So it's like a lot of people say, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody is kind of their epic. Well, it actually began with this one. Now, this album was not side one, side two. It was white side, black side. So on side one, you have the White Queen as it began. And this is kind of a concept album, a little bit different to me, the rest of them. And then on number nine, The March of the Black Queen is On the Black Side, and that's almost a seven-minute song. So be sure and check it out. This is an album, too. Again, it's probably best to listen to in its entirety because of the journey it takes you on. But I wanted to give a shout-out to March of the Black Queen just because it, was, it is one of the better, deeper tracks in the catalog. That's your number seven track. All right, number six. This album could probably be a little bit higher, and this is the one that kind of uh, you know followed up uh, behind Hot Space, it's an album called The Works. Some really good tracks on this one. There's not a lot of fluff. Like there's back in back in the day, to record companies, you would find four or five great songs and then kind of take some B sides and work them in there. Uh, I Want to Break Free is phenomenal, and Hammer to Fall is amazing, but. I went with the Roger Taylor classic, Radio Gaga, and they played us at Live Aid. I, I love it, uh, the live version of this. If you Look that up. Look Live Aid, Radio Gaga, and you'll be amazed at how well the crowd responds to this song. A lot of great tracks on this album. And again, It's a Hard Life is another one that Freddie Mercury wrote, really kind of a precursor to, to some of the problems that he had. But Radio Gaga, number six on the list. Number five. This is an album, too, that... Uh, You know, you could make a case for it. This was album number three, and it wasn't called Queen Three. It was their first platinum album. And it's the album Sheer Heart Attack, released back in 1974. Again, I mean, this is another one of those albums that you just kind of put it on, and all the songs are a little bit different. Now, Stone Cold Crazy is on this album, and uh, I could have gone in that direction. Metallica did a great cover of this on the Electra Rubiat album. That's the same album to get a Faster Pussycat mention in. The Faster Pussycat uh, covered Carly Simon's You're So Vain, which is one of the best covers of all time. Uh, Bright and Rock is a really cool song too, but we're going with Killer Queen. That's a Freddie Mercury classic. And I love the chorus on that. I love the harmonies on it. I think you guys will too. If you're unfamiliar with it, be sure and check it out. All right, now we're getting into the top four. And I think most people would agree even though you could probably make an argument for some of these other albums behind us, um, that this is probably the top four albums. So my number four is the album Jazz. Uh, I really dig this one. And again, this, this again is kind of like... After, I, would say, I hate to say at the end of their peak, but I think... Because like, the album went at number two, right? But I, you know I think they were probably beginning to fade a little bit even though there was there was a big album that followed this one, I think jazz is like, okay, maybe we've plateaued a little bit. Just I mean, maybe, because, um, you know, I just think jazz maybe wasn't as well-received as a couple albums before it. That makes sense, okay? But the jazz album is really not a jazz album. It has some really cool stuff on it. It's uh, it's very diverse in many respects. you got a lot of different tracks on here of maybe different genres almost Uh bicycle race is on this one. Don't stop me now is kind of a, almost a chorus line type song. And then there is the rock classic fat bottom girls. And that's what we're going with. And Brian May is the one that wrote this song. Brian May wrote a lot of the bangers, right? So again, jazz, a handful of really good, well-received singles. I think Fat Bottom Girls, probably the best of the bunch. So we're going with that. Um, Jealousy was also a pretty big one, too. But there we go, jazz. So number three, and this is an album that actually uh, preceded jazz. It's News of the World. It went four times platinum. This is, again, this is one of those albums, too, that um, in some respects, it is... Um, It's one of those, I'm going to read you this quote, and uh, this is from Wikipedia. I feel the Queen style of well-produced or production sort of albums is over. We've done to death multi-tracked harmonies, and for our own sakes and for the public's, we want to go on to a different sort of project, and the next album will be that. Well, that's news of the world. And so again, I think Freddie was kind of bored with the pattern and so they they actually began to write more banging tracks they got a little more rocky and i think a lot of this is brian may's influence who is underappreciated as a guitar player you can say but steve news of the world i know this one yes you do and it's two of the most anthemic songs in rock history we are the champions and we will rock you we're on this one and spread your wings along with uh, sheer heart attack so a really, really good album that had a lot of good radio play. And any time that you can drop an album that uh, that has a couple of songs on it that they're playing 50 years later, you probably have done your job. So news of the world number three, we're going to go with We Will Rock You is number one. My only complaint about We Will Rock You is it's not long enough. It just goes two minutes. It's not long enough. All right, number two, and if you're familiar with my history, it is the first album that I ever bought with my own money. And it's Queen's The Game. Love this album from start to finish. There is not a bad track on it. And again, they're trying to have this harder edge. You know, there's not as much operatic stuff. Freddie really uses the low register in his voice. Uh, There's a little more of a grit to the vocal delivery on this album. Uh, I love it. I don't think there's, again, there's not a bad track on it. And uh, there were so many singles from this. uh, Yeah, crazy little thing called Love was a huge hit. Uh, Play the Game, another big hit for them. Need Your Love in the Night was also kind of a minor radio track. But the one the one for me, the reason I bought the album, is another one, Bites of Dust. It's a John Deacon classic. So there you go, The Game, number two, released in 1980. And again, that goes back, man. It's like, that's back to the my childhood, right? I mean, it's like Ace Freely got me in, and Freddie Mercury kind of said, hey, yeah, this is the right way to go. The number one album... And this should probably come as no surprise. It's the soundtrack from Flash Gordon. No, it's not, even though I loved the Flash Gordon movie. And I did love the uh, Flash's theme, you know, Flash, he'll save every one of us. Love it. It's, uh if you, that, that movie is, at the time, it seemed to be like the, the latest and greatest thing. You look back in hindsight, it really wasn't that great, but the music was. And I love the fact that Queen scored it. And, um, so I'm going to give you a, a quote about A Night at the Opera from Brian May. And if you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody, it's like, they began to take charge of their own careers. And here's what Brian May said, kind of in hindsight. We had made hit records, but we hadn't, we hadn't had any of the money back. And if A Night in the Opera hadn't been a huge success, I think we would have just disappeared under the ocean someplace. So we were making this album knowing it was livered die freddie mercury also said i do enjoy the studio yes it's the most strenuous part of my career it's so exhausting mentally and physically it drains you i sometimes ask myself why do i do it after a sheer heart attack we were insane and said never again and look what happens end of quote talking about a night at the opera and they really 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 pushed themselves on this album so much again it's album number four it is their uh, one of their best-selling albums. News of the World is the best-selling album, and then uh, Night at the Opera is a uh, is second. I guess the game is right there with them too. So those three albums all kind of similar uh, in their sales, but a Night at the Opera again really allowed Freddie some freedom that maybe he didn't have on the earlier albums. So I think once they became established as an as a, an, an artist, they said, Hey, we're gonna this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take some ownership here. We're gonna write what we want to write. And you've seen that scene, obviously, uh, with the, uh, the record company executive played by Mike Myers in Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, You're My Best Friend, that was a catchy song that John Deacon wrote. They wanted to release that as the, uh, the original single. And then there is the emotional ballad of Love of My Life, absolutely incredible. But we're going with Bohemian Rhapsody. You can't have a queen list without Bohemian Rhapsody. So number one album is A Night at the Opera. And again, the thing that I love about it is that every track is a little bit different. It's a very diverse record. Um, and again, the one that really made them famous. Every kid today, it doesn't matter, just about anybody alive today knows Bohemian Rhapsody. And I love the fact when that movie came out that it introduced this wonderful band to a new generation. Uh, and again, I'm gonna say this too, and i may get myself in trouble. And I'm OK with that. Uh, I kind of live in trouble anyway. But Freddie Mercury really taught me a lot about life and tolerance. And there were so many people that tried to vilify people that were Queen fans, especially in you know small town Mississippi. How could you listen to that when you know the lifestyle that guy leads? And you know, I think the more we learned, the more we realized what a beautiful person Freddie Mercury was and the things that he did with his, his life, especially towards the end. Uh, with his money was very, very, um, was very touching. And I think it's one of those things, too. It's like, you know what, I, I, I can, acceptance is not approval, right? And, and and I get hung up on that whole thing about approving of other people's life choices. I don't get a say in that. I don't get a vote in that. And that was a lot of people that was like, they're like, oh, you know, you can't listen to Freddie Mercury because of his lifestyle. and Look at what he does. And you're contributing to all that stuff. And I feel guilty I didn't buy more Queen albums, to be quite honest with you. I look back in hindsight, you know, it's like, why would I let somebody else's opinion shape my opinion about what I like? And uh, so I was kind of in conflict. There were a lot of people who were like, you know, hey, you shouldn't do this, but I love Freddie Mercury. I love the music of Queen. So why should I have to not listen to Queen to satisfy you when your opinion of me really is of no consequence? You know, it's like when you're young, all that stuff matters, and you kind of learn to be your own person, and so. When, uh, when I found out they were finally releasing the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, I wanted to bring my kids uh, because they had heard so much about Freddie Mercury and Queen in my household. And they'd heard me talk about that, about how Freddie Mercury kind of, in many respects, challenged my ideals a little bit. And I had to decide what I wanted to believe and what I thought was true about life and how I wanted to treat other people. And so I brought all my kids uh, to see Bohemian Rhapsody. We watched it together. And uh, a couple of my kids cried, and I may have too if i'm being honest uh it was very sad it really was in many respects and uh, i hate that his life ended as sad and reclusive as it did and wish things would have been different for him but what i do love about it is like my kids now love queen and they don't sit around and talk about oh well what kind of person was freddie mercury they just enjoyed the majesty and beauty of Freddie Mercury, Mercury and his music, and I think sometimes we get too deep with all that stuff. Anyway, I like what I like. I'm not making a political statement when I buy somebody's record. And we talk about this earlier, but you know, supporting the bands that, that means something to you, Queen means something to me. And with after Bohemian Rhapsody was over. Uh, I keep my youngest kid kind of outfitted in hoodies, and the, it's, I think he's got about 30 of them. It's ridiculous. So the kids today wear a hoodie when it's 100 degrees outside. And so he said, hey, Dad, can you order me a Queen hoodie? And I absolutely did it and could not wait for him to have it and to wear it uh, because the music of Queen is something worth celebrating. No matter how you feel about an individual's personal decisions or about how they choose to leave, live their life, or you know, the life of which they feel, is fulfilling to them is really not something that we get a say in. You know, Freddie Mercury is Freddie Mercury, period. Period. I love Freddie Mercury for his talent. I love him for the beauty that he brought in life to other people. And in many respects, it's been a soundtrack of my life. And so I will never in any way sit in judgment of anybody because number one, what does it matter? And I get real fr- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop because I get real frustrated because there's so many people that are so incredibly close-minded about things. It's like, I can't enjoy this because I have a hang-up about that. And the hang-up about that is not even your business. You understand what I'm saying? And one of the, the best things I ever heard in an, an AA meeting, and I know people are going to say, but Steve, what you see here and here here stays here. Uh, this is worth sharing. I had a guy tell me one time and i was sitting there having this little you know feeling sorry for myself and i'm angry about this and after a meeting a guy tells me because you know steve the thing that i found is that like 90 of the stuff people get upset about and get really angry about is not their business and i got convicted about that because it's true like all these things like well they shouldn't do this they shouldn't do that didn't affect me either way so why am i having a strong opinion about it you know it's just like why allow that to derail me from my primary purpose and so again public with it i love freddie mercury love his music uh and he died far too soon far too soon a very cruel and painful death and um it does it saddens me because i think about you know it sounds kind of silly but i wish that i would have been a better friend to freddie mercury and bought more queen albums when he was living and so we're going to do our best to celebrate freddie mercury and queen on this show All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too. If you've had experiences with them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, they're just good people doing a great job, man, for a great fan base. If you're looking for the latest in Mississippi State merch, look no further than Campus Bookmart. A lot of people out there brag about their selection. Uh, Nobody, nobody having a selection of Mississippi State merchandise greater than Campus Bookmart. Uh, You don't believe me, go by and see for yourself. It is... um, They've expanded the blue shop. It's upstairs. So when you get there, park, you go in the front. Instead of walking down the stairs there, it makes it a little easier, more convenient. Incredible selection. More stuff on the way every day. The lovely, talented Susie kind of running the show up there. Miss Kathy Brown keeping the warehouse trucks running, right? Be sure and go enjoy Campus Bookmart when you're in town. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, we continue our SEC previews today. We're going to talk about the University of Arkansas. Now, as I've said before on this show, Sam Pittman has surprised me. And it's hard not to like Sam Pittman. I mean, honestly, even though when they beat us last year and he goes, hey, I knew the kid was going to miss it. I mean, it's like, I want to be upset about that, but I felt the same way, right? But Sam Pittman, I think, has been a breath of fresh air in Fayetteville. And I think he's made a lot of people look really silly. I mean, when they hired that guy, everybody's like, oh, what a joke of a hire. I mean, you, you, you fire Chad Morris, who was awful for two years, and then you go get Sam Pittman, and you think, oh, where's Arkansas spending their money? Well, you know, I think it goes to show that Arkansas maybe knew some things we didn't know, and I think – I think maybe maybe the, the folks that were like kind of trying to make it seem a little bit better than, than it looked on paper is like, hey, you know what, Sam is a great recruiter. If nothing else, he'll refill the roster with talented players, and the next guy will kind of have a higher floor maybe. And they can come in and say, you know what, there's more talent because – and I don't think the Arkansas program was devoid of talent because, um, you know, Sam has gotten a lot out of those guys. I think Sam is a great motivator. But I think Sam is coaching his own kids, and I think it's pretty safe to say Sam's going to beat her a while. Let's take a look back at last year. An interesting year for them because they got off like gangbusters, man. It's like, oh, my gosh, look at these guys. The talk of college football, you know, really the month of September. It was incredible. So they open up with a 38-17 win over Rice, and everybody's like, yeah, you know, okay, it's Rice. Well, then they beat Texas to death. You know, and everybody's like, Texas is back. And there's some people in the media, it's like they're invested in that. It's like, well, we want Texas to be good. We want Texas to be good. Guys, Texas is not good. They're just kind of okay. Texas is not great. They're not elite. That's one of the reasons I'm not worried about them joining the SEC. I think actually when Texas and Oklahoma comes in, it's going to open up SEC recruiting uh, pipelines into those states a little greater than it is now. But Arkansas beat Texas. And that was a loud win for Arkansas. I think that's when people were like, hey, look at this. Because Texas had been propped up. But listen, don't take anything away from Arkansas. They hammered Texas, 40 to 21. Absolutely hammered them. And we're like, OK, Sam, you got our attention. The next week, they route Georgia Southern as they should, 45-10. They go down to Arlington, and, of course, A&M is ranked seventh in the country. It's funny you think about that now. Arkansas was a top-ten team, and then Arkansas beats them 20-10. to A&M, of course, the top-ten team. So now all of a sudden the Razorbacks are 4-0 with two top-15 wins under their belt. You're thinking, man, Sam has got them rolling. Now, if we're being fair... A lot of those people projecting Arkansas to roll into Georgia and win that game were not being fair to Arkansas, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, even knowing what we knew then, Georgia defensively was at another level, and they're playing at home. And this is an Arkansas team that really hadn't won a whole lot in the last few years. And that becomes part of your culture too, whether you want it to or not. You know, these guys had just kind of learned to win and now you're taking them to a true road environment against a top five opponent, Georgia, and they got crushed. That game was over a quarter in, 37 nothing, right? And let's be honest, Kirby probably could have scored more because of his love and affection for Sam Pittman. He's not going to treat him, you know, just like a bum. And so they win that game. And, again, I don't think that's, that was a, a real negative against Arkansas. I know there were some people out there that were like, well, I mean, come on. Okay, so maybe Arkansas wasn't ready for primetime. They were still really good. Four and one. They go to Ole Miss. Now, we were worried about, would Georgia beat them twice? Well, they didn't. And Arkansas should have won this game. They didn't. And you give Ole Miss credit for this. It's a barn burner of a game that goes down to the final play. And Ole Miss makes the play. 52-51 win. And K.J. Jefferson had a field day. And again... That's a quality win for Ole Miss, and there were a lot of people then. It was like, you know, Ole Miss is pretty good. This was a validating win for Ole Miss, and I think in many respects took a lot of the wind out of the sails of Arkansas. It's like, okay, we we started out four and zero, and all of a sudden we're four and two, and we've got two big losses in the SEC. Maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. But again, go back and look at those first six games. That's you know, it's four top twenty opponents in six weeks. You know, sandwiched around rice in Georgia Southern. So, now all of a sudden, you have this October malaise. You know, it's like September, you're the, uh, you're the talk of college football. Then you host Auburn and uh, one of Bo Nix's best games in the uniform for the Tigers. They win 38-23, and it was a game for a while, but in the fourth quarter, Auburn closed, Arkansas struggled to do so. And again, I think part of that is the grind of that October schedule. Now, all of a sudden, you're four and three. And everybody's like, you know what? Hey, we've seen film. We we'll kind of get the defense figured out. But, you know, Arkansas was still putting up some points. They'd had trouble stopping people three weeks in a row. And that's where things got a little bit interesting, I guess. You know, A lot of people were like, hey, the bloom is off the rose for Barry Odom. You know, a lot of people thought, hey, this guy's going to do a good thing. And then, you know, you go through a three-game stretch here where you give up 37, 52, and 38. and you, know, you can kind of do the math on that. You know, goodness gracious, that's a lot of points. Then they get Arkansas Pine Bluff, and there were some people that kind of uh, sarcastically picked Pine Bluff to win because they were reeling a little bit. Wasn't close, obviously, 45-3. And then we get our game, a game to this day that I will argue we should have won, and that is not a slight to Arkansas. Mississippi State missed three field goals in the game, and guess what? They lose by a field goal. Mississippi State gets a touchdown to take the lead with under three minutes to go, and we couldn't get a stop defensively. Theoretically, we did get that stupid holding call on Martin Emerson, on Traylon Burks, and uh, it was not a hold. And I submit to you this day that was not enough to make a call there. It cost us the ball game because that was a fourth down play. And so we talk about, well, it should never have come down to a field goal. Well, it didn't. It came down to three field goals. It came down to the holding call, and us not being able to get a stop. And, and, of course, K.J. Jefferson is a mobile quarterback, so you drop a lot of guys in coverage, and sometimes you lose them. The guy's a heady guy. It's a great athlete. It's a game we should have won. We didn't. Arkansas won the game. We had a chance to put it away. We didn't. They go right down the field and score. And to give Will Rogers credit, we go chasing right back down the field to at least give ourselves a chance. We blew it. It was a big win for them. It really turned their season around in many respects. Then they go to LSU. And at this point, LSU was beginning to play better. And they win it in overtime in a different kind of game. You know, they ob, Defense had been somewhat optional in the middle part of the schedule for Arkansas. And they go down there and play LSU and win that game 16-13. Really good defensive effort from the Razorbacks. And then they go to Alabama the next week. And now you've won three in a row. And you're thinking, you know what, hey, we, we're both eligible Hey, we're playing with house money now. We already got seven wins. Let's go to Tuscaloosa and kind of play with our hair on fire. And they do. Remember how bad they got beat by Georgia, right? It was terrible. And if they had gone to Tuscaloosa and got beaten the same way, people would have said, oh, okay. Now, I'm not one of these big moral victory guys. I know many of you are. And maybe because of the fact that we've struggled to score points against Alabama. Maybe I see it a little bit differently. But you go in there to, to Alabama and you lose by seven, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, let's just kind of call it what it is. So, yeah, they, they lose. But this wasn't a ball game by any stretch of the imagination that Arkansas looked to be outclassed. And, again, that is a that is a tribute to Sam Pittman and his staff. At the half in this game, it's 24-14. to 14. They're in it. And of course, Alabama with three touchdowns in the second quarter uh, you know, allowed them to get a little separation. And the next thing you know, after three quarters, you know, it's 35 – excuse me, <clears throat> it is um, 34 to 21. And so you feel like in many respects, okay, this game should be over. But it wasn't. Arkansas makes it awfully interesting. Uh, they score a touchdown to pull within six. And with the game on the line, Alabama goes down. And there's six minutes to play. And they put the game away with a touchdown, seemingly anyway, to go up 42-28. Uh, and then Arkansas scores were just over a minute to go and then uh, couldn't get the ball back. But, uh, but, again, you can't look at that and say, hey, these guys aren't any good. The next week they double up on Missouri 34-17. They win the ball game 24-10. And so you look at that, and say, they went nine and four last year, eight and four in a regular season. And I think if you had said beginning of the year they were gonna go eight and four with that schedule, you'd say it's a really good mark. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we forget sometimes how things looked at the beginning of the season. I don't think most people expected them to beat Texas. I didn't think they'd beat Texas. I bought the hype. I didn't think they'd beat AM. I knew they wouldn't beat Georgia. I thought they'd beat Ole Miss. Wondered a little bit about Auburn because you know how crazy that is. I thought we'd beat them, you know, but I'm thinking maybe six and six, seven and five. So I think Arkansas actually overachieved last year a little bit. I think they beat expectations. Now you look at this year. Okay, so you know what do we have left? You know what what's coming back? They had some losses, but they return a really good team here. And uh, can they be better than eight and four in the regular season? I don't I don't know. I think it's gonna to be tough. But if Sam Pittman has taught us anything, is don't ever count him out. Don't ever count him out. Um, and again, that month of September was probably as fun a month of football Arkansas fans have had in several years. All right, so Kendall Browse back again as the offensive coordinator. He knows how to use KJ Jefferson. KJ, I don't know that fit the Joe Moorhead scheme. And K.J. didn't want to be part of a two-quarterback class, but I'm not sure Wish we'd had him. I don't know that he fits the air raid, right? But for what Dan Mullen wanted to do and for what we thought Jim Moorhead wanted to do at times, because Joe was supposed to be this, you know, aired-out offense, and we got basically kind of a watered-down version of the Mullen scheme. Um, so I don't know that K.J. fit, but K.J. has found a home at Arkansas. I'm proud for the kid. He's a great young man, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see him have some success. Not against us, of course, but uh, – I, I root for the guy. I do. I root for K.J. Jefferson, uh, not just because he's from Mississippi, but because he's a good dude. He is a really good guy. And, uh, and I got a lot of criticism from some people for picking Arkansas. I'm like, you know, State and Ole Miss didn't really push for this guy. How you, How can you be critical? He still found a place to go play in the SEC West. He won the job and was a really good quarterback last year. You could argue that he deserved to be a preseason All-SEC guy this year. You know, Will Rogers says, you know, cry me a river, right? Um, But I could have easily voted K.J. number three. You know, I think Hooker, of course, is a dude. And it's going to be a good year for quarterbacks. I, I don't like Will Levis better than K.J. Jefferson. I don't like Will better than Will Rogers. I think K.J. Jefferson is easily a top four quarterback in this league. And not just on NFL mock draft potential, but on production. That's the thing that I look at. When you look season to season, who had the better year last year? K.J. Jefferson, Will Levis. K.J. Jefferson. Who had the better year last year? Will Rogers, Will Levis. Will Rogers. Right? It's not like we're having to say, well, I really like it. like a recruit where you're saying, okay, I'm going to project what this guy's going to be. You saw it on the field last year. They played in the same league. And who was better? So it's like, oh, well, this guy's got NFL you know, stock and everything else. Well, that's great. We're not ranking guys based on the NFL potential. We're ranking them as what they do as college players. And I think K.J. Jefferson is a little disrespected. Um, maybe not as much as Will because, you know, Will is kind of called a product of the system, which isn't fair. Because basically what you're saying is that a Mike Leach quarterback can never win an all-SEC honor because we throw it a lot, you know. I've said this on the show before. You know, it's like, did that ever stop us in the run-heavy offense from giving a Heisman Trophy to a running back? No, it didn't. It is what The numbers are what they are, regardless of the scheme. We shouldn't have to run a balanced offense to get our offensive players recognized. You know, what's going to happen now that Trevon Burks is gone, though? No. He was their guy. And uh, you knew they were going to dial him up late, and you knew that he was going to make, make plays in his passing game. That's the big loss there. I don't know. They've recruited fairly well. I don't you know I don't know if you've got anybody with that kind of star power, though. Uh, offensive line should be good. And, and I, I, let me share this with you, too. As long as Sam Pittman is the head coach at Arkansas, the offensive line is going to be good. Okay? then there may be some years that they've got to start some inexperienced guys, but they're going to be well-coached, they're going to be fundamentally sound, and even the guys that maybe aren't as talented as some other guys are going to be very good linemen. You expect it. I mean, right? That's uh, we talk about. You know, some coaches have their own pedigree. Like you know, Nick Saban obviously has been great at everything. But you know, Nick Saban, when he offers defensive backs, people pay attention. Used to. When Steve Spurrier and his guys offered receivers in Florida, people paid attention. And even though we had some lean years when Sylvester Croom offered running backs, people paid attention. Guy coach Barry Sanders. He, he's NFL pedigree, right? He knew a big time back when he saw one. Dan Mullen, same thing with quarterbacks. When Dan Mullen offered a quarterback, you know, we used to laugh about it. When Dan offered a quarterback, then he knew four or five more offers were coming right behind it because Dan could evaluate quarterbacks. That's how it's going to be with offensive linemen and, uh, in Arkansas. People are going to pay attention. There's no doubt about it. But um, I, I think these guys are going to do a good job. And um, I think when you look at the, uh, this running game, you know, the, Arkansas wants to kind of lean on you a little bit. You know, they want to be that physical team that later in the ball games proves that they're the more physically sound team. They're going to grind you out, beat you up up front, and let those two backs just kind of get after you over and over and over again. You know, in many respects, this offense is, uh, is kind of old school. You know, it's got some new school elements because of the quarterback run. But deep down, what they really want to do is kind of what Dan Mullen wanted. They wanted to spread you out and then get downhill on you. I like it. I do. I mean, again, you know, Kendall Browse running a lot of the same elements that uh, that Dan Mullen did. But, um, you know, you look back at these numbers here. I mean, you get on these offensive numbers here and make sure we get this right. Um, you know, again, Traylon Burks is one of those dudes. You, you know, you just. Is it fair to say a generational player? I mean, he was an obvious All SEC guy, right? I mean, there was no question about it. He had 12 games played, 66 catches, 1104 yards, 11 touchdowns, long and 91. Averaged 92 yards a game, and again, and this is not a run-heavy offense, right? I mean, they're not it's, they're not running triple option, but by and large, they want to ground you out on the on the on the on the ground, and then force your safeties to come up and stop the run, and then get some one-on-one matchups. And KJ has been efficient enough to make people pay for that, but. The drop-off statistically after Burks is significant. And we knew that last year. And so will there be somebody emerge? He was a bit of a bell cow. That kind of remains to be seen. You know, Trey Knox is a guy that people really high on too, but uh, he has 20 catches last year, 141 yards. So after Traylon Burks is 1,100, the number two receiver on the team, 337 yards. That's it, 337 now, we look at the rushing aspect of this. KJ, the leading rusher last year, was 664 yards. And, and I think they are perfectly okay running this guy 10 times a game. And more if necessary, especially late when we're trying to put a game away because he is so big and physical. Uh, he's done a pretty good job staying healthy too. But when you look behind him, oh you know, yeah, Traylon Smith last year, 617 yards. Raheem Sanders, 586. Dominic Johnson, 586. Those, those two guys are back. And so they kind of did a running back by committee thing to kind of spread maybe the wear and tear out a little bit. And so I like how the whole thing is structured. I just wonder when you don't have the deep threat of Burks, when you don't have people that have to commit double coverage to Burks' side, what is that going to do offensively? It's going to be a little more difficult to kind of keep hold people accountable and kind of put them in a situation where. Um, you got to keep them honest. I, I think what I think what teams ideally would like to do is bottle up the running game and kind of force KJ to beat him throwing the football. And can he do that? You know well, that remains to be seen. But I think that he's certainly a guy that uh, can make some things happen. Let's look defensively here too. And it seems that's the thing about this 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 Arkansas defense. I know they lose guys every year, but it seems like we know so many of these guys. You know, we just we continue to know these names because like okay this guy leaves and then somebody's right behind him right uh bumper pool and it seems like I've joked about that before it's like he's on the Casey Clawson Honorary scholarship it's like he, it feels like he has been there for 10 years and it's not just because he's got the unique name I mean this guy had 125 tackles last year he, of course preseason all SEC linebacker this year uh, had some big games for them last year had 10 tackles against us 10 and a productive guy in every game I mean, that, that's what you want from your inside guy. Grant Morgan, of course, big year last year. Hayden Henry. He had three guys over 100. Uh, Joe Fauché, of course, is transferred. Greg Brooks also transferred. The secondary is going to be the real question mark. I love Jalen Catalan. I love his game. And I'm interested to see how he responds coming back from injury. You know, he, he got injured uh, after the all missed game, and then he didn't play the rest of the year. There was talk about him going into portal and stuff. He likes to come back. If he's healthy – that's huge. If he's not, it's going to be tough. This Arkansas secondary, I think, is very vulnerable. And now they may say differently. Um, it's going to be interesting what we hear out of fall camp, right? Uh, and I don't know too that like, do they get the same level of reps against the scout team that maybe they should against the air raid? And you say, well, Steve, you know, Arkansas has beaten us two years in a row. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct and uh, absolutely outplayed us two years ago. And then last year just made one more play than we did. You know, some of last year's issues were self-inflicted. And I think when you go back and look at the game we lost to Felipe Franks, I mean, that's a game that, you know, K.J. Uh, didn't play in that game. Felipe did. I guess K.J. may have played some of the package stuff. But State did a really good job defensively against Arkansas. Uh, late in that ball game, Arkansas had a chance to put it away and, and couldn't do it. But, you know, when you go back and look at Costello, for us. I mean, you know, it was just an absolute implosion. He throws that pick six to Greg Brooks, and it seemed like we were chasing the game and we had every opportunity to get down there. I've recapped that game before with you guys, not gonna struggle through it again now. But you know, this is a team that kind of put the the blueprint out there. Barry Odom kinda said, Hey, this is how you stop the air raid. And then we struggled after that, you know, after we embarrassed LSU. It's like Barry Odom said, It ain't gonna be us. And then everybody else is like, we're going to do what Barry did. And a lot of people kind of mimicked what Barry Odom did against Mississippi State. And because of the fact that we were so unsettled at quarterback, K.J. couldn't read defenses, receivers were struggling to, to find places to uncover in his own, we couldn't get on the same page, Arkansas beat us. And would you look at that in hindsight and say, you know what, the better team won? I don't think so. But the reality of it is they won the game. Now, last year's game was much different. We saw a much more polished version of Arkansas last year, even though we were an improved team, too. I thought they really took some steps forward. I think that's fair to say. And, again, you look at the schedule. They, you know, they had some issues there in the middle, and I know that's a game that we feel like we, we should have won. They feel the same way when they see us on the schedule, even though state's had the better run of it uh, maybe the last decade. You know, That's a game, of course, that's going to be here, and, we'll, and it's a game we're going to be counting. So let's take a look at the schedule and kind of see how things progress here. Okay, so they're going to open up with Cincinnati. That's a tough opener, but what does Cincinnati have back? I haven't done a lot of research on those guys. Of course, they were excellent last year. Luke Fickle was a phenomenal coach. That'll be an awfully interesting game. You'd like to think Arkansas could win that game, but that's going to be a huge, huge game right out of the gate. Okay, then they host South Carolina. I'm going to tell you, this whole talk about South Carolina being ahead of schedule, this is going to hurt some feelings. I think South Carolina last year was a bit of a fluke. I'm just being honest about it. Um, you know, they benefited from the fact that a, a couple of teams in the division were down, and they won those games. If they didn't win that Florida game. It's a completely different scenario. But um, I think I like Arkansas in this game. Then of course they beat Missouri State, and then they get A&M in Arlington again, which is always an entertaining game, right? So. If Arkansas plays up the potential, they could be 4-0. and They could also be 2-2. and I assume they're going to be Missouri State and South Carolina. I see Cincinnati and a is m as toss-ups. And then you get Alabama. It's going to be a big game there. And then they come here. And so I kind of like where we're positioned for a couple reasons. Number one, we're at home. We're going to get them, I think, after back-to-back losses. So we're going to get a fully focused team, and the next week they got to go on the road to BYU. Not not that they're going to be overlooking us to get to BYU. That's an interesting road trip, though. I like playing teams a week after they play Alabama because everybody's broke up. Right? I do. And you know it's going to be a physical ballgame. What kind of toll does that take playing A&M and Alabama back-to-back? We got excited there for a minute. But, um... But yeah, I kind of like our position, but um, I do like us to win the ballgame. Uh, we are at home, and uh, I just think, you know, again, the physical toll of having to play A&M and Alabama back-to-back, and you know, even though A&M sometimes, uh, you know, win or lose is a very physical brand of football, it takes a toll on you. It really does. But that's a pretty good stretch there to go at Mississippi State, at BYU, and then at Auburn. So October is going to be a very interesting month for them. They end up in uh, November with Liberty, LSU, Ole Miss, and then add Missouri. So it could be one of those years where Arkansas seven and five, eight and four. I don't think they take a step forward this year. I know they'd like to, and of course, getting Alabama at your own place, you feel like after last year's game you can be competitive in that. But I think again, last year is last year. This year is this year. I know many people are thinking, hey, maybe they can win, you know, nine or ten games this year. Maybe they can, but I think they're going to need some help to get there. Again, I think Arkansas is a very solid bowl team. I think they – I don't know if I'd say they're ahead of schedule. I think last year they were, but I think if you had thought about this three years ago, you'd say, hey, they're probably going to be eight and four in 2022, I think people said, yeah, that's probably right. Uh, but, again, I think they could easily be two and two after the month of September. And then I think they could easily be four and four after the month of October. And then you look down the stretch there and, yeah, you know, maybe three out of five, two, three out of four there. You know, so they could be seven and five, potentially eight and four. I, I think seven and five is probably the floor, and eight and four is probably the see. I know that's not a lot of variance there. But if they lose like if they lose to South Carolina, that game in Fayetteville, I think that's crucial considering you still got all the West to go. And I think it's one of the things that helps them too is in the month of November, is three out of the four games are in Razorback Stadium, and the final one is at Missouri. And Arkansas has had some success against Missouri. But uh, some wild games, and you never know, Eli Drinkwitz, you know, what, what they're going to cook up for him. So it's tough to really kind of figure out Arkansas this year, but I think that's kind of how Sam Pittman wants it. I don't think he likes a lot of high expectations. He's like, you know what, just let's just roll the football out there and play. Uh, but again, I think Arkansas probably, if I had to call it today, I'm going to say seven and five. I think seven and five, maybe eight and four, and that that's actually changed a little bit. I think before I'd said eight and four, but I think probably seven and five. Now, when I look at how the schedule lays out for them, I think it could be kind of similar to last year, where you have the great start in September, and then you have a very difficult October, and then a really nice November. I think it could kind of work out in the same way. So. Don't want to take the easy way out, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Okay, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Uh, our friend Brooks Bryan. Love Brooks. Uh, he loves me. He loves all of you, too. He loves all of you that are considering moving to Starkville now and making Starkville your home. And if you're one of those people, too, that said, you know, one day we want to live there full time, so maybe we can afford to get a second home there now. Maybe we can begin planning our retirement there now. Maybe we're just going to move lock, stock, and barrel to God's country and become full-time historical residents now. Portico is absolutely the best option for you. Very easy to find, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You turn off of 82 on the 12, like you're going to campus, take the very first ride at Pat Station Road. Uh, that brings you to Portico. Very easy to get to. Uh, you can start with a two bedroom, two bath home, go up to a four bedroom, four bath home, and really kind of any variation in between. If you need a custom build, they can do that for you too. Now, you may look at these house plans and say, you know what, this is exactly what I want. But maybe you want the kitchen a little bit bigger. Maybe you want the closet space to be a little more expensive. You can work with them on that, kind of get it built the way you want it. Uh, there are phase one completely sold out, phase two. Some houses being constructed now. Some of those are already purchased. So if you're looking to make a purchase now, now's the time to move. And maybe if you're thinking, you know what, maybe it's a year away from us, maybe it's six months away from now, uh, it's time to start making some plans. You go ahead and pick out your lot, kind of begin getting that stuff handled and, and beginning to uh, to get those plans finalized so when the time comes to build your home, uh, you're ready to go. If I told you before I was moving to Starville, I'd move to Portico. I would. Make Portico your next move. Oh, Brooks's number. 601 416 8075. Again, 601 416 8075. And uh, Brooks got some good baseball stories too. So while you're talking business, right, he could throw in some, uh, you know, some Brian Weiss stories for you. All right, final segment. Let's talk a little recruiting. A lot of people are saying, Steve, should we panic because uh, Chris Parson did announce a commitment over the weekend? Uh, I am not concerned because things are kind of going as I expect. I would hope that he had committed over the weekend, but I was told. By some, he's going to take the visit. He's going to get home, going to sit down, make a final decision, and that's going to be it. He's not going to continue the recruiting process. I understand he had a great visit. Paul Jones able to catch up with him, uh, which I think says some things there too. That he was able to do an interview with one of our guys, right? And he's because he's been rather reclusive and not done a lot of media stuff. And this wasn't some situation where you know. All of a sudden Chris Parson walks to the cotton district and we throw a camera up in his face. You know, it's like he chose to do this interview. Uh, I still believe Chris Parsons is gonna be a Bulldog. And again, I, I kind of cautioned you guys on the message boards like, hey, if he didn't commit this weekend, it's not time to panic. And here's the thing that I go back to. We gain a lot more. I mentioned this on Saturday. We gain a lot more from him having the big announcement. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I wish these kids would just make their decision, whatever. When you're getting your quarterback in, you want to get as much juice as you can, especially when it's a guy as electric as Chris Parson. You want to get your name in the paper for the right reasons, and that's what Chris Parson does for you. So it'd be one thing if he just tweets it out. It's another thing, you thing know, for him to have the big ceremony or have the big video edit or whatever, You know, not just, hey, I'm committed to Mississippi State. We need to make sure that we maximize our marketing efforts here to help us in recruiting. So uh, that's what I expect to happen. Does it happen this week? I hope so. Um, Yeah, because we're getting close to the season, right? I I think ideally we'd like to kind of get it done now, and I think Chris would too. Uh, But the reality of it is is that this is something we kind of jumped in late and we're kind of pushing through it uh, as best we can. But, again, I still expect him to be a Bulldog. I will be surprised if he's not. Uh, I've learned in recruiting to never say never, but uh, I don't think this is a situation where Mississippi State is chasing anybody. Kind of recap, too. We we had the uh, recap show on Saturday. Mississippi State now – Uh, 13 commitments 23 spots available in this class technically but you know what as long as you're under the 85 right so you know we expect there to be some ebb and flow there will be some transfers there always are so it'll be a full class and that's going to be some terminology that we probably abandon here in the months to come because class sizes are going to vary based on what you can do 85 know there was the hard 25 limit which was still a way to work around some of that. We have 13 now, so we're expecting at least 10 commitments. I would say probably a dozen more. Looking at the class by position, we have one running back committed. Uh, that's uh, Seth Davis. Very explosive player, not the biggest guy, right? Uh, a guy too, you gotta, be, you gotta be careful at times in the situations you put him in early in his career. Uh, probably hadn't done a lot, ton of pass blocking in high school because he's kind of the featured back. So it'll be interesting to see what you do. This guy's explosive though. You get him out in space, he makes people miss. Receiver, at this point you have two committed. You know, we guys, we knew about uh, Nakai Poole. He uh, he and his family uh, took a trip to Mississippi State over the weekend, as did Jacoby Belazar, who committed to Mississippi State officially on Saturday. This is a guy originally from Baton Rouge, a product of Capital High School, had a really good career. Uh, Jacoby Belazar did at Southwest Mississippi Community College explosive guy when you watch his film i think you're gonna be really excited about him but again i expect you to be a four receiver class and i think what you do now you got two you probably you would take these two guys no matter who your quarterback was i think you let uh, chris parson do some of the shopping on some of the groceries now three offensive linemen in the class all three of them you guys are well, aware, well acquainted with uh zay alexander of course being the newest one but uh i, I think right now if i had to call it Mississippi State takes one more high school lineman and then potentially somebody out of the portal, and that's that's proven to be a bit of a margin target, moving target for us at times. Go getting these offensive linemen out of the portal because everybody needs them. Uh, Stephen Lasoy, of course, we get him from Middle Tennessee last year, and you know at this point he's not projected to start. We thought he might be a tackle. Looks like he may end up being a guard. He'll play, right? And uh, we'll have fall camp to kind of figure it out. But it's uh, it's interesting, you know if that's the way it works, if you go take another guy to the portal. And uh, I think maybe, if not, if you can't get a guy in December that can be here for the spring, maybe you use that spot on somebody in February, maybe another high school guy. Uh, but I like what we've done on offensive line. You have the two highest-rated offensive linemen in the state of Mississippi, committed to Mississippi State, and then Joe Crocker, a guy that had over 30 uh, scholarship offers. So i like to look at this offensive line class. Offensive line class right now, you just got one guy committed as Joseph Head. I've heard talk we may actually go get a JUCO or a portal guy. You remember JUCO guys, right? Uh, we may actually go get a junior college defensive interior, defensive lineman this, in this class. And a lot of it's going to depend on how the fall goes. So, right, if Nathan Pickering turns it on this year, he could go pro. If he doesn't, you know, if he's just good and maybe not great, he's probably back another year. But I think we make a decision late. We're already kind of building some relationship with some JUCO guys. There are some power five bounce back guys that are in JUCO now. And that still happens. You know, nowadays, you know, people just enter the portal, right? A lot of guys back in the day had to enter JUCO to reset their career, like Montez Sweat, Montez, Michigan State. There wasn't a portal then, so he goes to JUCO for a semester, and then now he's back. And so the junior college ranks are going to suffer, in many respects, because of the transfer portal. It's not to say there's not going to be good value in JUCO, but it's going to be more of the traditional stuff. You're not going to have as many transfers showing up. Uh, There's going to be a few for one reason or another. A lot of times it's academic related. Uh, But the reality of it is is nowadays if a kid wants to reboot his career, he enters a portal. But I understand there may be a situation where we we go get a guy from the junior college ranks at interior defensive linemen. We'll watch that and see. Caleb uh, Bryant didn't make a trip this weekend. It's twice now, you know, as so you begin to kind of wonder, and I, I'm touching on the show too, you know, I, I'm not very patient. That's why I could never be a college football recruiter. You know, it's like, at some point, it's like, well, I can't do this, can't do that. And you begin to think, okay, is this an ideal in my head? Am I just kind of chasing this myself? I and mean, is this an illusion of my own imagination? And so you kind of ask yourself, are people being straight with me here? You know, I'm not talking to Caleb Bryant like our coaches are. So if they have a comfort level with it, then we should all have one too. But you know, I begin to ask myself too when you got a guy in state and has a tough time getting up here for events. Seen that movie a few times, right? Uh, linebacker, I love what we're doing at linebacker. The one thing that I will kind of point out here too though is like all three of the guys we have committed at linebacker are kind of transition guys. What I mean by that is, like, Zachary Tillman was a safety. Now, he was kind of a box safety, and now he's bulking up moving to Mike Linebacker. That's interesting to me. Ty Jones is a guy that is a running back slash linebacker prospect. I think he ends up a linebacker, that long, lean, physical linebacker. I think he's going to be a program hero for you. But again, not a guy that's been a linebacker by trade. Tobias Hinton is a guy that's played some at the edge. You know, he'll have to learn to play in space a little bit better. I mean, and that's just going to come with reps. And I think he's a guy too that will benefit from a redshirt year. Not that he needs it physically, which they all do to some respect, but I think he needs some experience You know, playing linebacker, learning the nuances of the position. From an athleticism standpoint, I love the group. I absolutely love the group. But again, not a lot of these guys linebackers by trade. So probably not fair to expect them to just hit the ground running defensive back uh i love what we've done in defensive back so far uh dante kelly gonna be a safety kelly jones gonna be a corner and then jalen abram probably a safety could be a corner in certain situations but i love the athleticism of this group i don't care what they're ranked i don't care what their offer sheet says i know when i see it on film these guys are players, and these guys are winners. Dante Kelly and those guys played first day championship last year. Um, you know, Jalen Abram, a guy plays at Oak Grove, they're routinely in the postseason. Uh, Kelly Jones, the best player at Clarksdale High School, which routinely is one of the better teams in that region. Uh, so I like what we've got. But what I would suggest about this class is there not a lot of polished prospects in the group. Because like you look at Malik Ellis, that guy's got to bulk up. You look at, say, Alexander, got to learn to play at a different playing way. Joe Crocker's a guy too, got to get a little bit stronger. And so the raw potential for this group is excellent. But they're far from finished products. And so that's what college coaching does for you is it gets these guys and kind of refines the skill set, makes them better players for you. And so I love the raw athleticism of the group. I think we got to get some more skill, though. We got to get some guys who have a little more skill refinement, some guys that could play earlier in their careers. At this point, I look at these guys, I don't see any of these guys just like contributing as true freshmen. Because I think, now granted, we got another year to go to watch their development, but I think all these guys probably benefit from a redshirt year just to kind of get their bodies in shape, just to kind of prepare for the rigors of SEC play. So, again, I like the class. I want to love the class, and you get Chris Parson in, and all of a sudden you add a couple big-time receivers, I'm starting to fall in love, as many of you are as well. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com, and you can order all my sports books there. Get signed copies of Dogpile, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, Flim Flam. Many of you have said, hey, Steve, I haven't completed my set yet. I've read Flim Flam, and I haven't, I've read Dogpile, but I haven't read Alpha Dogs. I haven't read Stark Villains. I am encourage you to act today. To get that taken care of because again the book's going to go out of print for probably a year or so before they print a short run again uh so no guarantees in life right so if you want it make sure you get it even if you don't read it you just have it as some uh you know collector's item because you love mississippi state that's cool too if you hadn't done so go to starkvillains.com we've had a big rush of orders here as of late i uh had some graphics made and uh they tell me the orders are kind of pouring in again starkvillains.com you can check those shirts out. I, I'm really proud of that, that shirt. And uh, I've got some other things I'm working on with those shirts here uh, in the months to come that I think you'll find awfully interesting. Uh, Blooms of Oleander, the book of poetry. People ask me about it all the time, and I always go to book signings. I don't have it, and so forgive me for that. You can go to uh, Amazon or to booksmegan.com or uh, barnesandnoble.com. You can order it, or you can get it directly from your favorite bookstore. They can order it for you. That's it for today. we we'll be back on schedule on Wednesday. I look forward to meeting with you guys then. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.